bridge between those two organizations. Straight to the red meat here. This is, uh, this is the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that gets people, uh, people riled up. Um, Hello and welcome to episode 105 of Rockstar CMO FM. The M is for marketing and the F is for value you decide. As you're probably wondering, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? I'm your host Ian Truscott and this weekly podcast says it's my excuse to chat with marketing friends old and new that I've met through my career from techie to CMO and hopefully share with you some marketing street knowledge that my guests and I have picked up along the way. Come say hello. We are Rockstar CMO on Twitter and LinkedIn and a proud member of the Marketing Podcast Network. This episode is recorded on Friday, March the 11th. I hope you've had a good week and you're well, safe and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm getting over my case of the COVID, so hopefully my voice is a bit better this week. This week, Jeff Clark and I continue with the five effing marketing fundamentals. I chat with another Serious Decisions Forrester alumni, former VP and principal analyst, and now with account-based engagement platform Sixth Sense, Kerry Cunningham. And we wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with Robert Rose for a cocktail and a marketing thought. But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Right, on to my regular guest. You know my friend Jeff Clark. He's a strategic advisor and former Serious Decisions Forrester Research Director. And we continue with the five effing marketing fundamentals. Last week, we chatted about marketing research. And this week, we dive into communicating the story. Welcome back, Jeff, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you, my friend? I am doing well. Thanks for having me back. Yet Absolutely. again. I have no idea what I would do without you, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure what I would do on a Friday morning. So, hey. <laughs> What's, uh, we need to start with the weather, as usual. A quick update. Uh, where's the, how's the snow going on? Well, we, uh, we had like our typical March snowstorm where it mm-hmm. snowed and it was covered all everything. It was thick and, and kind yep. of a damp snow. And then... Because it hit 55 degrees Fahrenheit, it all melted away it's all gone. by the end of the day. So, nice. uh, yeah. I saved you some shoveling. Absolutely. Saved me some shoveling, but I couldn't get, you know, it couldn't, couldn't do any skiing or anything because it's like, right. anyway, but it was, uh, it looked beautiful for about uh, half a day. Well, we've had a very nice, bright week, and, uh, and today it's been raining all day. So, fairly well, standard UK weather for us. Nothing to really report apart from gray, miserable 
as everybody stereotypically knows, which is why we're fascinated by the weather. So and we've got the weather, we've got the weather out of the way. But why are we really here? Uh, we're here to discuss the five effing marketing fundamentals uh, series we started three weeks ago. Um, and we've already covered branding in our first. In our second, we covered uh, marketing research last week, which was excellent. Thank you very much, Jeff. I think that's a topic we're going to need to come back to. There was yes, so much absolutely. And then, uh, so now we're on the third one, which is communications or telling our story. And we're going to try and cover that again in uh, 20 minutes and probably miserably fail. Well, let's give it a go. <laughs> so communications. Uh, what say you, Jeff? Where do we start? Well, I think that um, it's, you know, it's funny because when I was thinking about this topic, I, I went back to one of the things I'd always say to either people I'm hiring or trying to mentor is that, you know, talking about writing skills as being critical to to marketing and, and you know, something that every marketer should at least, you know, try to try to develop. And, and, and but the more I thought about it, it's like, well, it's not just the writing skills, because of the one of the things that writers tend to bring to um, you know, any profession is the ability to tell a story. Mm. And, and so, and that's one of the things is like, you know, as we're, you know, we're, we're talking about in our rock band vernacular, it's like, <laughs> well, this is where you write the lyrics and the, mm -hmm. and the, and the music and you, you know, you're getting the vocals, vocalists prepared. And it's like every song is a story. I mean, it's a story about something or otherwise you don't really engage the listener and you don't really, uh, you know, you don't leave the impression that you're trying to leave. And that's what mm -hmm. we're trying to do with marketing is gauge a listener and leave an impression. And, and the thing that, um, as I was, you know, kind of thinking more about this is that it, it just, I mean, it occurs to me that it's like storytelling is the way human beings learn. I mean, we, uh, and I, I dug up some, some stats from somebody I think you're going to have on the show, Matthew yeah. would get in the, yeah. in the sometime in the near future, but it's like, yeah. we, what, what we remember 20% is what we see 10% is about what we hear. Uh, and, and then 70% is what we experience. And so in, in the absence of personally, you know, physically experiencing something, telling the story, which helps to basically bring that, you know, an experience to life is, um, you know, is, is the way you can actually want engage the user and then get them to remember something. Cause that's what we're as a marketer, mm -hmm. we hope they remember, you know, well, we had that cute little tagline and we're selling, you know, our, our widgets. Uh, mm -hmm. Hopefully they'll remember what the widgets are about and why they're interested and blah, 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 blah. So it's, yeah. So to me, this is, and it's, and of course, storytelling goes back to well before we knew how to write on tablets and came up yeah. with paper, let alone the internet. Yeah. And uh, I mean, yeah, I, I chatted to Matthew the other day in preparation for having me on the show. He'll be, he'll be on in a, in a few, I haven't recorded it yet. He'll be on in a few weeks time waiting for his book to come out. Um, and it, fascinating fella. So what, are, um, so you were saying, what are the elements though of the, of the story that we, we need to tell? I mean, what, what do we actually need to get across? I guess most of us, are, well, you and I are B2B marketers. What are the, what are the key things we need to be as part of that story? Yeah. Well, it, um, I think that the, um, you know, one thing is that a, a story, you know, oftentimes when we, when we say storytelling, people think mm -hmm. about, well, it's entertaining. Well, um, particularly as marketers, we don't really have to focus on being entertaining. Now, it, being mm -hmm. entertaining might be some way that we actually try to get our message across. But right. again, it's about planting an idea 
And and so if we think back to some of the things that we've covered before, like about, you know, planning and, and branding and blah, 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 you know, you can kind of sep- separate the key elements of a story into, you know, somebody's got, uh, you know, whether it's the listener or somebody else you're talking about, they've got goals, they've got initiative, yeah. they've got something they're trying to do. Yeah. They got something that's getting in the way. So there's obstructions, there's a challenge. Right. Um, that challenge gets met by a, a solution. There's there's something mm-hmm. that actually addresses the challenge, which delivers, you know, a business benefit. Mm-hmm. And 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 shows value and support and hopefully when you tell that story, you're not only you know, going through that arc, but you're leaving the impression of the, of the, of your brand and its attributes and as to why that's probably the best way to solve the problem or provide solution than other ways. And, and as, as I was kind of thinking through this, it was like, well, that's, you know, anytime I've done customer success stories, whether it's, you know, written or a video or news article or something like that. I mean, that's the, that's the arc. There's a goal, there's a challenge, there's a solution to that challenge. Hopefully we provided that solution and it delivers yeah. certain benefits. Hopefully it yeah. benefits. And, and then there's certain things about the way that benefits were delivered yeah. that, that are part of our, you know, tie back to our brand attribute. Yeah. And, um, and, and so actually when I went back to Matthew Woodgett's uh, site at Go Narrative mm-hmm. and I, and, and of course he's, he's got his own framework, which talks about desire, difficulty, mm-hmm. denouement. Uh, it's basically putting the three things the exact same, exact same. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. like again, yeah, you've, got, you've got something you're trying to do. You're running yeah. into some issues. Somebody, yeah. somebody's in to help. Somebody's yeah. provide the truth of how you can actually solve that problem. Yeah, and then there's a. I've I've read also a number of approaches to this. Like the, it's like the hero story. But the important thing about this, though, isn't it? Is the story, the central character. And I've been involved in writing use cases and all, all that kind of stuff. The central character is the customer for a start which I think some people sometimes forget. And the other thing is that actually, particularly with case studies, the journey is often missed, isn't it? It's like we had this problem and ta-da, it was solved. Yeah. The journey part of that in the middle is how they overcame the challenge, what other options they looked at, what other things they tried. That stuff is often more interesting to other customers or other people, other people in your audience than the rest of it, right? Just to suggest that, you know, here, here, here was somebody that was completely on fire, and we just popped along, and ta da, everything was fine. That's <laughs> that's not a customer story, is it? They could have called the fire department. <laughs> um, but yeah, and that's and and that's you know what I think about. Um, uh, you know, I've done a lot of work helping people uh, prepare yeah. for like keynote presentations, and yeah. it's and it's like, you know, you that's you you want people to you know rather than than go through tons and tons of detail or. Yeah. Um, uh, or, you know, talk in, in, in detail about the solution, maybe some of the technical issues about it. It's like you want them to, to get into the more human side of what are you trying to accomplish as a company? And, 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 and you know, however you approach it, how are the people in the company help you approach it? Because that's right. then, then people start to develop the story in their own head that says, I see what this person did. Mm-hmm. And, and then starting to see how I could do it here in, you know, in where I work. And, um, so I just I think that this is in, important for. I mean, one of the reasons we put together this series about the F and fundamentals of, of marketing mm-hmm. is like what are the things that we think are essential for every marketer to know, yeah. and I, and this is where I think there's I mean there's lots of people who are going to be involved in telling stories, and so you want people to understand 
the concept of storytelling, you know, whether they're creating yeah. web pages, whether they're, you know, writing emails, whether they're yeah. doing the campaign, what, yeah. what, what are we doing to tell stories that yeah. people can connect to? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it also extends to, um, uh, the PowerPoints and the stuff that our sales team use, right? So, absolutely. Um, um, there's, um, and and just and the, the anecdotal things that you want salespeople to yeah. be armed with, so that they yeah. when they're in talking to a prospect, they say, yeah. "Hey, over for this customer, we did this. This is how we did it." Da, 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 da. Yeah, absolutely. And there's there's a method that I've used before that comes from a chap called Andy Raskin, and it's the greatest sales deck ever. And you you can easily if you search for the greatest sales deck ever, you'll come across this Raskin article. And it, he breaks it down in in a similar way to what you just described. But he talks about the story being about a big relevant change in the world. So if you're if you're you if you're looking at your customer as the hero in the story, well why are they needing to act? Well there's a big change in the world. So I think that might be worth people taking a look at as well as um Matthew Woodgett's work as you yep. just referred. So um that, I've, I've, I've dropped my notes. I've dropped my notes. Where are my, where are my notes gone? Uh, and then, um, so if we, uh, so we're, we're defining this story. Now, is that story the story of the solution that we're providing? Or is, is, is there still a role for our story as an organization? Like, why are we doing this? Who we are and all that kind of stuff. Are people interested in that stuff too? Well, I think I mean, one of the things to note is that, is that, you know, and, and maybe a lot of times we do this um, without thinking about it is that, mm -hmm. you know, we're, we're always trying to tell stories, you know, whether you're yeah. trying to hire somebody, you're trying to motivate the team, yeah. you're trying to, uh, you're, you're trying to convince the executive leadership why they should be interested in this hot new campaign you've got. Yeah. So we're always telling stories. And, um, and so, and sometimes the internal story uh, about why you're doing it can help uh, mm -hmm. when talking to the, um, you know, prospect or customer. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, the, I mean, the thing is that you're, um, you know, this kind of brings, brings us to the, the fact that, that what communications team is doing or a campaign mm -hmm. team is doing is really helping arming other people with right. the tools right. to tell the story right. that we want to tell and, and, and it getting back to our branding and our, yeah. the market research we did and the brand we've come up with is like, okay, yeah. there's a reason, <laughs> there's a reason yeah, we want absolutely. to tell this story or there's a reason we uh, want to tell the story this type of way. Cause you're going to have, you know, executives yeah. at investor meetings or doing keynotes yeah. at your conferences. You're going to have product leaders who are going to do those things and analyst yeah. briefings. You're going to have customers that you want to, you, I mean, yeah. this is where. So, yeah. So that's the idea there is that when we're creating the story, we need to think about our vocalists, right? When we're writing the tune, we think about our vocalists. And then, and then you're talking about the, I mean, we just mentioned salespeople, for example, that yep. needs to be consistent with the marketing story, right? So yep. those kinds of models. So you're, but it's the same, as you say, that I think a lot of the time when we think about our personas, we don't think about investors necessarily, right? We, we don't think about um, other uh, or even potential um, potential employees is another persona that I think uh, that we, we we often ignore as a absolutely. As a I mean, so, the, the thing is, if if um, a prospect, I mean, this often happens where a company who's yeah. unfamiliar with you, they're going to go to your website, they're going to go to your investor page, they're going to say, "Oh, well, here's here's um, the CEO talking about the status of the company. I'll, let me check that out." So, if the CEO yeah. isn't telling something that jives with 
what you're selling from or what you're saying from a marketing and sales perspective, then there's yeah. a disconnect. Yeah. Uh, you know. Yeah. And absolutely. you want you want to avoid that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So so with and when you when you've approached this as organizations and we're talking about telling telling this story, is this something that you get together with the executives and with everybody and we sort of have a you know what is it that which what's our why what do we try all that all that stuff is that is that the sort of thing you would do like in a workshop and then define well this is the narrative this is our narrative now and then you create these different iterate different versions for the different yeah. audiences yeah, yeah. I, I yes and and, and yeah. um i know uh i mean one thing i can i mean i've certainly done this a number of times but uh our one of our experiences when we were back at sdl is is kind of coming up with a new messaging framework or hierarchy about yeah. what are the you know and 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 um you know you kind of think about kind of a pyramid of of mm. uh, of uh of attributes or of elements yeah. of of why we're in the market doing what we're doing why we're solving customers problems yeah. a certain way and you know you try to start with the main points and getting down to the details so that you mm -hmm. can actually create a framework that you know when you're working with the executive whether it's mm -hmm. on a keynote or an investor presentation or you're working with a sales team it's like where well, we're pulling these elements and we're reshaping them to fit into the way you can tell the story. So there's mm -hmm. there's definitely, you know, as mm -hmm. with as with branding, there's a lot of background work that has mm -hmm. to happen in order to get to mm -hmm. get enough a good enough foundation so that you can arm the rest of mm -hmm. your sales, marketing, and customer facing, mm -hmm. uh, you know, representatives to um, to tell a consistent story. Yeah, and we mentioned case studies just a moment ago, and I think that if you don't know your story, then how are you going to write? How are you going to guide a success story or a case study if you don't know what it is you're trying to yeah. bring out of that story, right? So, yeah. so like you say, if you don't understand your brand attributes, the key parts of the story that you want to get across, those are the things that you want supported with your success stories. You don't just want some rambling story. I mean, rambling yep. stories are lovely and everything, but you know, you want those key points to come out of that. And unless you do the work pre, you, you're not going to be able to do that when you brief the customer, right? And yes, and hopefully the customer, uh, uh, I mean, you don't, I guess to an extent, you don't want to be in a position where a customer tells you what your value is and you're going, oh my yeah. gosh, <laughs> I, I didn't know that. Well, then I'll tell you where that should have come out. That should have come out in last week's show when we talked about market research. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So none of this should be a surprise, but kind of sometimes is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So we've, so we've, we've established what our story is um, and we've, we've kind of created these remixes for all the different audiences that we want that are telling our, telling our story. And we're starting to use this as a touchstone for a number of other marketing activities. So what, what's the next thing we need to consider um, in terms of really kind of amplifying what that, what that story is? Well, I think uh, two things is one is internally you, uh, I mean, you need to brief the rest of the marketing team mm -hmm. and, again, and by extension yeah. sales team, et cetera, yeah. because they're, you know, they're putting the pieces together that, that help tell the story, whether it's on the yeah. website or building collateral or they're in the creative department and they've, they're working on these, you know, different elements, your mm -hmm. executive presentation. It's like, well, they, they got to know a little bit about, but I should say yeah. a little bit. They got to know what the foundation of the story yeah. is, or, yeah. or they're not going to get their part of the communication right. Yeah. And then there's the 
then there's, you know, external people. I mean, is, uh, you know, you're, you know, you've got a hit when some major analyst is telling your story for you. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the outside influencers, whether they're journalists, yeah. analysts, industry analysts, um, <laughs> other third party bloggers or whatever, uh, yeah. you know, I you remember, know. I love that. I, I remember earlier in my career, way earlier in my career where we, there was a particular analyst who's still active now, so I won't say their name. We, we went and briefed them and we told them what our strategy was and what we believed, um, the, the, the customer wanted. And he was like, no, 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 can't possibly, no, you need to be focusing on this other shiny thing that the industry was passionate about at the time. And then we went back and briefed them again. And he said, what you need to focus on. And it was exactly the story that we told him. (laughs) (laughs) And we were really annoyed. But in actual fact, in reflection, as a slightly mature me looks back on that, I should have just, we should have just sat back and kind of, we weren't annoyed in the meeting. You don't get annoyed in meetings with analysts. We just sat back and we should have, we we should come out of that meeting and just smiled and high-fived each other. Yeah, that's that's right. That's right. We've done our work. work You you planted the seed. I mean, You know, unfortunately, analysts are humans, so yeah. <laughs> they yeah. come with their own yeah. their own biases and predispositions. Yeah. And 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 certainly, if you like, back when we were talking about market research, I mean, certainly yeah. a big element of that is going and pre-briefing analysts and yeah. and road road testing it. You know, before you yeah. take it out to the customer, let's road test it with the analyst. Yeah. And you know, you certainly, as you go around the the bend, you find that you know, I don't know, if you, if you mm. talk to five analysts. Three or whether you four, two are on totally, you know, some yeah. other plane. Yeah. Uh, well, you got your work to do to either convince the other two or mm-hmm. learn from what they're telling you to try to figure yeah. out what the what. And of course, work. and of course, today, I mean, that I mean, back um, back then, particularly with on-premise software, the analysts were all um, all. All, all seeing, all knowing, all uh, you know, they were the they were the influencer game in town. But now, of course, yeah, we have a big, much bigger audience of influencers that we, I think we need to cover, and journalists and all that kind of stuff. Yep. So that um, uh, so when we're all, when we're operationalizing this and putting this all together, who is it that we need to get in the in the tent in the room to help us with all this stuff? Well, I think you you need to get the communications team, PR, product marketing, or, mm-hmm. or what your industry marketing, whatever your subject matter experts are. They yeah. need to be in the tent in terms of helping develop it and, uh, yeah. and, and feel and, ownership of it. Do you think? Yes, and feel ownership yeah. because they're yeah. gonna they're gonna be some of the people who are actually going to be you know doing the yeah. communication. Certainly, yeah. PR working with your agencies, uh, you know, and then you take it to you know, the teams that, that actually help you, you know, execute all this, the creative mm-hmm. services, the digital team, again, your external agencies, your yeah. you know, marketing ops team, whatever. I mean, everybody yeah. plays a role in, in getting the story out. So, um, yeah, so that's, yeah. uh, it's, it's key there. Yeah. And I, I think we're in marketing, we tend to sort of, um, sit in our little marketing TP or, um, or, or <laughs> ivory tower, whatever it is, or some silo. Yeah. Yeah. Have some conference room probably in a, in an un- unknown hotel and, and come up with this stuff. But I think you made the point there about subject matter experts and those folks are often not in the marketing team, right? So they're important often they, to get absolutely. them in. Yeah. To, to get them involved in something. And it's like going to be different in every company as to oh, are they sure. in product management? Is it the product owner? Is it the, yeah. I don't yeah. know. Is it somebody yeah. in the field uh, yeah. who, you know, is implementing these things? So yeah. it's like, 
And I've, I've, I mean, I think it's even different now with, with influencer marketing as prevalent it is. Um, I've always thought that those guys were actually the people the customer wanted to talk to, not us in marketing. Yes. You know, they want to talk to the, the, the actual experts. And I think, I think nowadays with, the, um, with influencer marketing so important too, I think influencers, analysts, they're the subject matter experts. They want to talk to them. So it's, we need to make them front and center. Yeah. So, and, and, and in your research, you're understanding yeah. who, who does the buyer talk to? Because again, yeah. it's going to be different in every industry of whether they yeah. want to talk to your True. technical people versus True. a third party technical True. person versus, yeah. So it's, um, True. Yeah. All right. So um, we're coming up. Well, we've got shot past twenty minutes as usual. So, well, um, um, the the only thing I will, the fine point here, I guess, is maybe something I should have raised earlier on is this idea of storytelling gets a little bit of a bad rap at the moment, and so does content marketing to a certain extent. What's the what's the what's the value actually of doing this of of storytelling if you're going to communicate to the C-suite if you're going to try and get your storytelling or your content marketing strategy going. I mean, the, the value is that it is the way to connect your prospect or customer with your value proposition and make it right. make it stick, make make them yeah. be able to remember it and support the brand promise you're trying mm. to build. Because yeah. uh, otherwise, I mean, you can throw data at them, you know, facts, figures, blah, blah, blah. But but if mm. you don't put it in a context that helps them understand why it's important to them, yeah. you know, it was yeah. important to in my story, it was important to this company who's like your yeah. company. So therefore it could be important to you. Those yeah. are, those are what engage them, you know, and yeah. if you, and if you, if you don't do this, unfortunately, it's like, that's where you don't engage the customer. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, you may have a great message that falls on deaf ears. They don't remember it. Well, you, know, you, you don't plant the brand and its attributes yeah. you know, in their brain. Well, worse, you might have a great product. Uh, yes. But no, nobody, nobody buys nobody it. Nobody knows it. Yeah, they yeah. don't really get that emotional connection to it. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's excellent. Well, thank you very much, Jeff, as usual. Um, much food, food for thought and probably three other episodes we could have gone through on there. So we've done, we've, we've done the weather. We've done our five, <laughs> one of our five effing marketing fundamentals. There's only one more thing left on the agenda. That, what that, tune uh, are we going to go with this week, Jeff? Well, it, as I said, you know, every song – is out there is about telling a story. So, you know, picking, mm. picking the right <laughs> song is, <laughs> is, uh, is, is a challenge. And, you know, we, we went through, I think a dozen to try to yeah. settle on one. And so uh, we're settling on, tell me something good by Rufus and Shaka Khan the songs actually written by Stevie wonder mm-hmm. way back in 1974. So back I was, when I was a, a, a little, a little person. Um, <laughs> a little pup, but you know it. It, uh, it you know it's all about getting your promise across. So the, yes. I think the song starts with "You ain't got no kind of feeling inside." I got something that sure enough is going to set you on fire. Boy, would you want to do that for your customers? Absolutely, that's a great point. And I was absolutely shocked that 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 tune came from 1974 because it's an absolute classic. I love it. And I, I, and my story was just starting at that sort of time too. All right, so I'm going to play out with "Tell Me Something Good" by Rufus and Shaka Khan from 1974. Thank you very much, Jeff. And next week, shall we return and talk to the people about the fo- the, the fourth marketing fundamental, which is customer lifecycle? Correct. Da, da, da. Yes. Harmonizing ourselves with our customer. That sounds great. All right, mate. Well, I'll see you next week. Have a good week. Cheers. Good luck with not having any snow. I haven't got snow jokes for you this week. <laughs> okay. <laughs> see you then. Okay. Bye bye. You ain't got 
Thank you, Jeff. And that was an absolute classic. Tell Me Something Good by Rufus and Shaka Khan from 1974. We are rattling through these big topics. What do you think? Give us a shout on social media or get in touch by email. We are hello at rockstarcmo.com. Right. On to my guest. I have another of the Serious Decisions Forrester alumni, former VP and Principal Analyst Kerry Cunningham, who, as we'll hear in a moment, is now with account-based engagement platform Sixth Sense. Aside from his seven years with Serious Decisions Forrester, advising some great B2B brands on marketing operations, demand generation, and being the co-author of the demand unit waterfall, Kerry has more than 25 years of experience in B2B demand generation and management, spanning a broad array of industries and markets, and is considered a thought leader in the design and implementation of demand marketing processes, technologies, and teams. I really enjoyed this conversation. Again, apologies for my voice because this week I had a bit of COVID, but I hope you enjoy it. Hi, Kerry. Welcome to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? Doing very well. Thanks for having me. No, you're very welcome. You're very welcome. So, Kerry, for people that haven't heard of you or haven't followed your work, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so I work at a company called Six Sense right mm-hmm. now, and uh, we'll talk more about that uh, in a little bit. But I came to Six Sense from spending about eight years at Serious Decisions, and then after the Forrester acquisition, mm-hmm. there. Uh, and at Serious Decisions and Forrester, I was co-author of the Demand Unit Waterfall, and then its successor, which was just released in May, a couple of months before I left uh, the organization. Uh, and I spent virtually my entire career in and around demand gen, um, the intersection of marketing and sales. Yeah. Uh, what it, so what exactly, what does Sixth Sense do? Uh, so Sixth Sense uh, does a, a couple of different things, but primarily what we do is identify uh, prospects. So mm-hmm. by ideal customer profile using predictive analytics, mm-hmm. we notice when they're in market using third party and first party intent data, predict where those buyers are in their buyer's journey and then prioritize them appropriately for SDRs and salespeople um, using artificial intelligence. Well, I mean, that's, yeah, that's really important in, in B2B marketing. And I also noticed on your website, um, you describe this as RevTech rather than MarTech, which kind of reminded me of the current discussion between revenue operations and marketing operations. So where does this kind of function sit where you're identifying these accounts like that? Yeah, so it sits right across uh, both. Mm-hmm. We started, we being Six Sense, started as a marketing platform. Uh, mm-hmm. And that at the top of the funnel or waterfall, identifying the ideal customer profile and, and intent data, those kinds of predictive analytics, uh, were really aimed at a marketing organization. But uh, through acquisition and development, the company has brought on capabilities that deliver and then enable SDRs and salespeople to have better conversations with prospects. And that really does leak over into the the sales side of the house. Um, And that's one of the reasons I left Forrester to come to Sixth Sense. Um, Mm -hmm. One of the things that I did at Forrester was I was one of the the two folks who introduced our uh, RevOps operating model at uh, Forrester a couple of years ago at uh, Main Stage at Summit. And, you know, we've been talking about this idea that marketing and sales really have to break down the silos, the data silos, the process silos, all of that stuff. Um, And Sixth Sense is doing that with a platform. And so the reason we talk about RevTech is because you can't just talk about MarTech and you can't just talk about sales tech anymore. It doesn't work. 
things have to be intimately connected. And within our platform, they are. Right. So from your perspective, then revenue operations and marketing operations are like, are they both in the same department within an organization now where you bring together sales and marketing? Or do you see them as, oh, revenue operations is like the twin brother of marketing operations within these two different teams. And it's, it's the bridge between those two organizations. Straight to the red meat here. This is, uh, this is the <laughs> <stuff>. <laughs> that gets people, uh, gets people riled up. Um, mm. So, you know, back at Serious Decisions, we said, uh, no, you do not have to have one merged marketing and sales operations team. What you have to have are merged processes, merged data, merged technology. Um, oftentimes it helps, but there are a lot of circumstances in which it doesn't help to have the two functions merged. And one of the things that we really think we're going to, and now I'm using we for, I, I go back and forth, we Forrester, we, we <laughs> new. But when we were uh, back at Forrester, one of the things that we were really uh, leery of is that organizations will often make an organizational change in order to try to fix process problems. Yeah. Um, and as much as anybody, uh, Jeff Clark is somebody who's seen that a lot and, and try to help advise organizations out of that. So, you know, we know that just merging the two organizations doesn't fix the problems that you have by itself. You're still going to have to dive into the processes, create alignment and all of that stuff. And you can do that completely without merging the organizations so that we want to make sure the focus is really on making sure that your end to end processes are aligned and connected, that sales and marketing are on exactly the same page. Sometimes it helps to have them in the same organization time. That's not really the, the thing. And, and there's a lot of specialization, especially technologically between, you know, in marketing and in sales. It's not often that individuals know both kinds of technologies very well. So there's even if you have them in the same organization, you're likely to have people who are still specialized on one side of that. And when you talk about the thing that we're collaborating on, I mean, we're we're all collaborating on generating revenue and therefore we're all collaborating on a funnel. Is, Is that is that your core belief? Is it is it about operationalizing you know, leads, MQLs, contacts before that, sales qualified leads and opportunities. Is that, is that still that model that you guys are following? It's, it, well, it, it's the next version of that. So back uh-huh. about 17 uh, at Serious Decisions, we introduced the demand unit waterfall. And, and so prior to that, Serious Decisions waterfall had been kind of that was the, the canonical funnel for B2B. And it started with somebody filling out a form and becoming a lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terry Flaherty back at uh, Serious Decisions and I spent you know, hundreds of hours looking at people's uh, lead management, demand management processes. And what we found is that you could take people who are bad at it and make them good at it. But the improvement was only 1% or 2%. It goes from, you know, like a 1% conversion rate to a 2 or a 3% conversion rate. And, you know, it's just banging your head against the wall and not making much of a difference. And when we started you know, really diving into it and saying, OK, what if we what if we just think about this kind of from first principles? What occurred to us is that, oh, OK, you know, the problem is the buyer in B2B is not a lead. Uh, it's not an individual person. Mm-hmm. Uh, the buyer is 10 people working together, sometimes 20 people working together, all yeah. doing research. And when you start to look at that, you know, we always say once you see buying groups, you can't you can't unsee them. So mm-hmm. once you see 
the buyer is this big group of people and you look in your marketing automation data and you see, oh my God, every time we ended up with a deal that we closed, we actually had multiple leads and multiple yeah. anonymous yeah. organization. That was like the, the big aha moment that said, we have to stop focusing on yeah. individual yeah. leads and look for evidence that there's really a buying team or buying group that's in market. And so that's that's where we changed the waterfall to this demand unit thing. And the name of that is a long story in and of itself. But <laughs> the idea is how do we find a selling opportunity? And yeah. what we know from the data is that each lead that you have in your system, we treat it like a unique selling opportunity. Like if, if in marketing, most organizations say, if I've got 100 leads, that means I have 100 unique selling opportunities. Yeah. But when you actually look at the data, it's more like 50 or 60. Right. Yeah. So if you're, if you're in marketing, if you're a CMO or a VP of demand and your conversion rates are based on the premise that each one of those leads is a potential buying opportunity, mm -hmm. but they're really only 60 and not 100, your conversion rate to start with is already chopped down by 30 or 40 percent before you yeah. even do anything. Yeah. yeah. That's a tragedy, right? I mean, that's. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love this. And it's a, it's a digression from what I was prepared to talk to you about. But I love this um, because I found it in my own career where the tools actually lean you towards thinking about people and individuals rather than accounts and, and, and what you're calling revenue opportunities. Because I think and it's, is that is that how Sixth Sense works? It works more from an account based model rather than individual leads coming through a funnel. It is. And there's even a nuance there that's important uh, to understand. But it's exactly why I moved from Forrester to Sixth Sense because of Forrester, <laughs> this is the thing, you need to do this differently. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have, as an, as an analyst, you don't have the ability to say, so go buy this tool. Yeah, right? You say, yeah. so you need to do, and we have to be yeah. uh, independent. Now I can just say, so look, here's the thing, take this, go do it, right? Yeah. Um, Sixth Sense does, and the way, it's, uh, the way it's slightly different from being account-based is um, for most BB organizations, and especially mature ones, an account represents multiple selling opportunities. Mm -hmm. I've got three different, it's that account is three different selling opportunities. And so I may have more selling up, multiple selling opportunities open and working at the same time. So mm -hmm. I, I need to be aware of that. Everything's got it. And so the new version of the waterfall that we introduced in May is uh, being very blatantly opportunity centric. That's okay. what you're looking for. Um, yeah. Now those opportunities, these come out of accounts, so but it's really critical to the math to know. All right, does each account represent one selling opportunity, or three, or five, mm -hmm. Oracle or SAP twenty-five, or whatever the number might be? Mm -hmm. um, and the data, the intent data, all of that stuff that you look at has to tell you what is it that these people that we're seeing the behavior of, what are they looking for? Right. Are they in market? Right. And does it, does it, I mean, I don't want to just talk about the products. I'm more, I'm particularly interested in your concepts here is, does it also think, take into account the fact that different people in that buying community are going to be interested in different things, which I think sometimes throws the traditional sort of, you know, answer all the questions of somebody on a, on a particular buyer's journey, because it, when you're talking about a B2B committee, they're all on a different journey, aren't they? And at some point, Somebody might be advising early doors. They need to, they need certain information. Then they might leave the buying committee, and it's now over to the IT guy or whatever. Is that is that the kind of thing that this model um, supports? It does. Uh, I would say yeah. um, it's uh, for the most part organizations are not 
all the way there in the majority. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're at the stage now where organizations are realizing, I think, en masse, uh, and it's taken about six years, but yeah. are really recognizing that this lead-based way of looking at things is tragic, both for marketing and for sales. It's just yeah. wrong. So now we do have to notice that there are multiple people. Now, the big thing that drove a lot of organizations to have this understanding is uh, the ABM trend and organizations yeah. focusing on ABM. ABM usually means you look at a much smaller set of accounts. You're very careful about choosing them in conjunction with sales. And then you customize content. You identify the key buyer personas and you have buy, you have content those key buyer personas. So that's exactly what you're talking about. Um, now, those buyer personas, as you said, they come and go from the process. They have different information needs. It could become overwhelmingly uh, complex very, very quickly. <laughs> yeah. Most organizations have content to support, maybe one or two, or maybe two or three personas. Mm -hmm. um, I would say for today, that's perfectly fine because most organizations have not built the infrastructure to actually notice if it's working. Yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. You know, so what I mean by that is if I do, if I, if I've got an ABM program and I select the accounts and I go out and I spend, invest more in this set of accounts, yeah. I have to think about what that's going to look like if it starts to work. Yeah. Right. And what it looks like is you're going to get an awful lot more anonymous traffic on your website from those accounts. Mm -hmm. Now, are you going to be capable of no knowing that you have anonymous website traffic from those accounts? That's mm -hmm. like question one. And the answer for most organizations is no, we're not going to yeah. be able to know what's happening. And then the second is you're going to get multiple leads from those accounts. Yeah. And the way things we, we do a whole nother uh, podcast on this, yeah. but the way organizations in B2B are set up, you will not formally notice any lead after the first one that you get from an organization. So if you mm -hmm. get one lead for product A from Acme company, mm -hmm. uh, that may go through your processes, but if you get a second or third lead, it's gonna get stopped uh, before mm -hmm. it goes anywhere. Uh, and you know, if, you're, if what you're trying to do is drive more demand from multiple buyer personas inside an account, yeah. and your processes kill every lead after the first one, right? this is why I use <laughs> It's hyperbolic language when I talk about this because it's tragic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And it's part of that. What you, I've, I've seen you talk about the dark funnel, which I found fascinating. Is that what you're talking about as well? Is this sort of anonymous, both the anonymous traffic plus all those leads you're probably missing because of? And, and let's face it, our behavior has been driven by um, marketing technology these days, right? And that's been the problem, isn't it? that you've just summarized it uh, perfectly. <laughs> it. I, I use the, the, the term, the uh, marketing and sales, uh, marketing and sales automation industrial complex has yeah. been driving uh, really unnatural behaviors in B2B. I mean, I started back before there was marketing automation or Salesforce. Mm -hmm. um, and in those days, everything was account-based. There were no incoming signals. Like we, you know, if you got a lead, that was, you know, that was, yeah. it was a great year. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you know, everything was outbound. Mm -hmm. um, but once we, once we got leads, we got, you know, we just kind of lost track of the fact that the, that lead is just one person. And if they're going to buy, there's going to be more and all that just completely lost uh, track of that. So the idea is you've got to notice that you've got all those different signals. Now today, most of those signals happen outside of your digital domain. 
All right. So that's the dark funnel is exactly as you said. It's all of that third party intent that you're not looking at right now. Mm -hmm. Um, Partners said that something like uh, 83% of buyer research is not on vendor sites. Mm -hmm. So, so most, most research that buyers are doing, they're somewhere else. They're, you know, they're on, uh, they're on influencer websites, industry websites, those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And then they're on your website, but they're also on your competitors' websites. They're looking around all over the place. And then there's a lot of them. Right. Um, so when you take into account that there's third party intent um, in B2B form fill rates are something like, you know, two to five percent. Mm-hmm. What that means is ninety five to ninety eight percent of your traffic is anonymous. Mm-hmm. If you aren't doing everything possible to understand what's in there, you're wasting almost all of your money. Right? <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. Funnel. And absolutely right. All of those leads that you don't pay attention to. Yeah, um, those are all funnel. They're they're buyers who are actively pursuing solutions, and you can't see them. Yeah, no, I love that term, the dark funnel. Um, so before Six Sense, we mentioned you were at CS Decisions Forester, and I've I've asked this question of of Jeff, and I, I love these insights that I get because I get a, a free free consultancy with a with a great analyst like yourself. You specialize in demand creation. And I've read a bunch of your stuff. What were the key things you saw consistently that your B two B customers needed to address? Well, you know, the the single biggest thing uh, we call buying group blindness. So buying group being that buying team that, uh, you know, the research says it's if your solution is between 50 and 250K, uh, then the buying team is about 10 people or so. And if it's above 250K, it's 19 on average. Wow. And that doesn't mean so salespeople right now are going, wait a minute, there aren't 19 people, you know, sitting at the table when we do the deal. Nah. Correct. Only a few of those people who are in that final decision, but there are 19 people on average researching who are out in the dark funnel looking around. If you know that they're there, you can distinguish between like if you see one of your accounts that's got 19 people out looking around and you see another one that's got three, where should you spend your time? Right? Yeah, uh, yeah. That's the value of all of these uh, signals. And that's the thing that people are still, for the most part, missing. Still probably 80% of B2B is not paying any attention to that. Yeah, and that's interesting because earlier you were talking about personas. And I think, you know, you come across organizations that spend an awful lot of time on it. They create attributes they'd never notice and can't address. They create 14 different personas. But the opposite of that is, is to recognize that there might be 19 people involved in a buying decision. How do you reconcile that? How do you simplify the personas while still recognizing there's this bigger group? Well, you know, the, the truth is that within your buyer personas, there, there are certainly nuances in the mm-hmm. kinds of information needs that people have. Yeah. Um, but every organization has to prioritize who are the, who are the keys. Yeah. And yeah. then if I, if I take care of the, the information needs of these key buyer personas, have I mostly covered what everybody else is going to need to know? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the answer is probably yes. Uh, yeah. The other people yeah. do some translation of that into what they care about, yeah. but chances are yeah. they're going to know that. So yeah. what I would say yeah. is, you know, most organizations have already done something to, to cater uh, content to multiple buyer personas, but mm-hmm. they don't have, to see when those buyer personas are showing up. And so to me, the most important thing now is not necessarily getting more sophisticated in your persona content and all of that. You can notice when you're being successful 
in attracting and engaging the ones that you already know about, and then build from that, right? But, right. but create a capture mechanism. You haven't done that, right? You, you've you've laid the bait. Uh, you're in the right place, right. but you forgot to set the trap. <laughs> so <you're not> gonna... <laughs> or, or at least you're not seeing what animals are straying past your trap and you've got to look right, yeah. the right bait, I suppose. That, there's an analogy that we could probably do. All right, so um, I, I could talk about this for, for all afternoon. I'm very much enjoying this. A number of things came to mind right then that I thought I could ask you about, but I've just realised the time. Um, so I'm going to get to our last question. I did want to ask you about your career and all sorts of things. And I think before we before I hit record, you said, I'm not sure about, I think we've got enough here for 20 minutes and you were quite right. So let me go to the final question. We have a regular feature on Rockstar CMO called Rockstar CMO Swimming Pool in tribute to all the rock stars that threw things in hotel swimming pools. But it's our portal to marketing health for all the overhyped trends, BS and snake oil from this marketing industry we love. What would you like to see chucked in the pool, Kerry? Uh, today's conception of ABM. <laughs> I love it. ABM has been chucked into the pool a couple of times. I want to know what you think. Of that. <laughs> uh, yeah. So... When, away, when you say I'll chuck it in, but what do you when you say today's perception? Do you is it are you coming from a position like we've always done this and it's not it's not this overhyped thing, or are you from a perspective like oh, it's just ABM needs to be chucked in? A couple of things. One is you know ABM is is just doing B two B marketing right. So okay, uh, you know everybody says that now and gets that. Yeah. For me, it's really that ABM has focused almost entirely on the creation and delivery of messaging into accounts. And very, very little on the collection of the signals and the responses afterward. And so, you know, you see all kinds of companies trying it and then saying it doesn't work, trying it, saying it doesn't work. You know, intense signals, they don't work. Uh, And it's just the wrong way uh, to look at it. That um, what I want them to replace it with is, look, there's a myriad of signals that we could identify to see when a buyer is in market. And. Any one of those signals by itself, not very interesting or good. It's when you combine them together that you can really understand who's in market and prioritize effectively. That's the, the thing to replace it with. Uh, that, I mean, that's brilliant. And that's B2B marketing gold right there, I think. So thank you very much. And when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? So uh, you can easily uh, find me on LinkedIn and, and uh, very happy to have everybody do it. There aren't too many Kerry Cunninghams on uh, uh, LinkedIn, but Kerry Cunningham, I think that's easy to find. Um, I'm on uh, our blog at Sixth Sense. I'm on lots of, I've got lots of uh, publications. If you do Kerry Cunningham and B2B, you'll in lots of places. And then uh, my uh, blogging content is still available on the Sirius or Forrester website. So everything that I've written on this topic is, is still there. Um, and uh, then I'll be uh, having my own podcast coming up soon. So maybe we can. Uh, oh, splendid. Yeah, no, I look forward to that. And I actually dug through a load of that stuff. That sounds bad. I actually read through a lot of that stuff before. We, and yeah, you're all, all re- your, your work is still there on the, on the Forest Series Decisions website. And a lot of your blogs, obviously, you can access without a login. So it's, it's all good. Thank, thank you very much. So thank you very much, Kerry. Um, And uh, I look forward to being on your podcast and maybe having you back here again. Thank you very much. Cheers. Thank you. Bye-bye.
Thank you, Kerry. Yet again, a guest I need to have back on, as I could have geeked out with Kerry for way longer than we had time for. And I will, of course, include all of Kerry's links, plus some articles from him that flesh out some of what we discussed in the show notes that you can find on rockstarcmo.fm. And if you enjoyed listening to Kerry, please say hello. Right, time to wind down for the week. And where better than the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with a man once described as a likeable Mark Ritson and to join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, the chief troublemaker at the content advisory to be transported away with a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and uh, welcome to the bar. At the end of the week, we are. Thank you. It's a it's it it's been a it's been an interesting week. I don't know if you felt the way I've felt, but it feels like time in some way has shortened. Oh. Like it, there's you know like we're we're you you look down and you start your work day and then you look up and it's already close to five and it's like where yeah. did there were two or three or four hours go and 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 while that can be good <laughs> you often yeah. find yourself at the end of the day and the end of the week going i didn't get nearly as done much right. done as i thought i wanted right. to well well look at it mate we i mean this is this is we're in mid-march i know isn't it amazing I mean, where is Isn't it amazing? Going? I mean, yeah. it feels like yesterday was the beginning of January, and now yeah. here we are at the yeah. at the precipice of April. So it's yeah. it's uh, it's yeah. it's it's absolutely fascinating. But anyway, mm-hmm. we do have uh, a lovely, uh, and the reason I mention it is because mm-hmm. uh, tonight's cocktail uh, mm-hmm. is one where you do want to sort of have a lean back, sort of uh, yeah. relaxed moment. Um, now, as you know, um, from so many times on this show, I'm not usually a rum guy, mm-hmm. um, but I have discovered this cocktail and I absolutely love it, um, because it does actually include, uh, something I have fallen in love with, which is Amaro, um, Ooh. and, uh, which is an Italian liqueur, of course. Mm-hmm. And so this is called a rum and orange. And uh, again, like the last couple of weeks, it's a little more complex than your average cocktail, but you've got plenty of ingredients there. And I have. In your office <laughs> bar, so I'm sure you'll have all of this. Um, it includes your favorite uh, Jamaican rum or mm-hmm. any rum really, but, but you know, a good mm-hmm. Jamaican rum. Uh, and then a little bit. Um, so if you, if it's maybe, you know, th- let's call it three parts rum, then it's maybe two parts uh amaro montenegro which is a little mm. difficult to find but if you can find it it's absolutely lovely and goes in lots of things by the way it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a wonderful liqueur and then another two parts uh perhaps a sweet vermouth um and um I, that i bet you have actually <laughs> and mixing all of those two together uh with a little bit of a squeeze of grapefruit juice if you have it um, right. lemon can also work, but grapefruit is better. Uh, and basically mixing all that together and you get this very tropical tasting, wonderful, uh, cocktail and it's just wow. absolutely refreshing. And, you know, the thing I think I like the most about it is that you don't really taste the rum. A rum taste is not my favorite, but mm-hmm. if you do this the right way, you don't really taste the rum. And so we're calling mm. it the rum and orange of all things because it has nothing to do with orange. 
other than <laughs> the uh, sweet vermouth and the Amaro Montenegro, which has a bit of an orange taste, but uh, it's uh, it's lovely. And it's and then you pour that over ice and sit by the beach, and you're good to go. Nice. I don't think I, I mean we're going to find out the limits of my desktop bar in a moment, but I don't think I've ever come across Amaro. Have I? What, what's oh, the flavor it's... there you've got? What What did you say? The the what's the flavor of the of the of the amaro that you're adding oh there's many many there they yeah. there there are many out there the amaro montenegro is is a little bit more of an orangey sort of taste but it's yes. um there are many amaros it's it it's uh you know it's a pretty i mean you know it's a little bit like a sambuca um, oh okay you know, it's a, it's a liqueur like that. So, you know, mm. I mean, read into this, you know, I mean, you can already start to count the sugar and calories in this thing, yeah. but, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it's, a it's a, it's a liqueur for a sweetener more than anything else, but it's right. just lovely. It's a, it's a lovely, very a light taste. Nice. I think I probably know it when I see it. I'm down to have drunk it. <laughs> so, uh, so that, and, and we're big fans of rum in this house. Um, my my wife, my sister rather lives on Bermuda, so often we have a bottle ah, of Gosling in the in the house someplace. But anyway, I shall attempt to make that cocktail from the contents of my desktop bar. Uh, and uh, this week, I have the um, probably the lightest and most English of rums, Hendrix Gin. I see. Yeah, yes, Hendrix I'm going to splash yeah. some of that in there. And oh, as um, as we already just identified, I had absolutely no idea what those uh, that other ingredient was. So I'm going to look. Just add the... more gin. Yeah, I think that's yeah. the. Uh, well, that's the that's the that? goal there. Did you hear that splash that I put? Three in parts well? gin, two parts gin, <laughs> plus three parts gin. I think is the. Uh, yes. Which equals and the, and six the... or eight parts gin. And I think we've agreed that the English cucumber fills in for many exotic fruits, including grape, grapefruit, I think. Indeed. Uh, so, Indeed. So I'm, the I'm most English go... grapefruit is the cucumber, yes. <laughs> oh, so I'm going to go with the, uh, what the fine folks have put together at Fever Tree, a cucumber tonic water. So let me slosh a, probably one part of that in there. Feeling a little bit coldy, so maybe I should put a bit more on that. Let me give this a taste. Oh, that's delicious, Robert. You're quite right. It's lovely and yes. can't quite get the orangeness, but then I'm not sure that's why you named the drink that. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but it's certainly sophisticated, very sophisticated. And yes. what are we calling that? We're calling it the rum and orange. Mm. Yeah. Okay, I'm not getting the rum either. Okay, and where yeah. would we be drinking rum and oranges, my friend? Well, I think we do absolutely need to make a trip into the uh, Caribbean and... I've just learned of a place. My friend uh, Joe Polizzi just got back from a vacation in Curacao. Ah, um, yes. Which he sent me photos, and it was absolutely spectacular. Yes. So now I feel like I must go. So oh, it's a little yes. tiny island off the coast of South America, way down yeah. there. Yeah. Um, and uh, it looks just absolutely fascinating. Yeah, it's the Dutch West Indies, isn't it? Yes, I think. indeed. And yep. I have, uh, I, I work with a lot of Dutch people, uh, and um, and that's <laughs> that's their West Indian destination of choice. And I, I, actually, I used to work very closely with a, a young lady that was from Curacao. So, uh, ah, so, okay. I, but I've never been, but I've heard tale. So, I think this is a magical place to go. I agree with you. So, um, I guess due to the nature of that place there's some sort of beach hut with our name written on it and and these gin these rums are flowing nice that's true yes so while we're sitting there watching the sea and the sand what are we going to be talking about this week robert 
Well, I, you know, I think the the thing to talk about is 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 a fun thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of the uh, challenges with you know, so storytelling mm-hmm. and the idea of getting to better content with our marketing, no matter what it is, right? You know, we often talk about content marketing and thought leadership and mm-hmm. sort of how we imbue that with with storytelling, but even within marketing content, right? With the, you know, about us page or the, you know, you know, product pages and the things that we have to create, uh, for sort of general marketing collateral can also be imbued with elements of, of storytelling. And, and Mm -hmm. this came up, I was chatting with a friend, uh, who was actually really trying to get to, uh, better engaging content about and, and, and in a very B2B technology, technical specifications and, and, and all those kinds of things and needed to be, you know, one of the things that they would often get and, and they, would, they actually showed me this thing, which was they would really struggle to create uh, compelling content, something that you wanted to read based on what their product marketing colleagues would hand them, right? So they mm-hmm. would routinely hand them a you know, a four slide deck that had, you know, features, features, technical (laughs) specifications, et cetera, with all these product features. And they would say, make this great, right? Make this somehow (laughs) wonderful. And one of the techniques that I talked to them about that seemed to really resonate with them. And I thought we'd chat about here is this, there's a concept and it's a very funny concept. It's called the Pope in the pool. Um, mm-hmm. and you have to say that slowly to make sure you don't <laughs> mess it up. Um, it, it is the Pope in the pool. Um, and it comes from, uh, there's a wonderful book on screenwriting and storytelling called save mm-hmm. the cat. And it's written by a guy by the name of Blake Snyder. And he, he writes in his book, he, he basically breaks down movies into very approachable story structures you know, there's one called Monster in the House, and then there's, uh, you know, all these different kinds of metaphors for story structure. And he sort of shows you examples of all of these different in movies and books and, and how they sort of conform to all of these sort of great constructs. And one of the constructs within these stories that he uses is called the Pope in the Pool. And it comes from this, um, you know, the need to be able to every every story, every movie you've ever seen, every book you've ever read, there is at some point a need to get really, you know, to expose a lot of information, right? You know, exposition. Yeah. And you have to somehow relay all this information uh, that you want to give to the audience um, in a good way, in a good and entertaining way, right? So a good example of this is Steven Spielberg uh, with um, uh, Jurassic Park. And when in Jurassic Park, when they needed to teach the audience about DNA replication, they basically, you know, they could have had all the scientists, you know, staring at a dinosaur egg and have some scientists go, well, when DNA replicates, this is the way it works. And this is the way it works. And this Mm -hmm. is the way it works. And this is the way it works. And it would have been boring. And by the way, we would have seen right through it because all these scientists staring at the egg are (laughs) supposedly experts and they're, you're telling them things they already know. And it takes you out of the story and it's awful. And so the way he did it, of course, was to have them get on a little ride to test it out. And the scientist went through the ride, you know, that you remember with a little cartoon mm-hmm. teaching us about DNA replication. And they're making fun of the cartoon and 
quibbling with the facts and all that, which both establishes their expertise, but also gives us the information we need. And it happens in bad stories all the time. You see <laughs> horrible ways of getting exposition, right? Yeah. And so what Pope in the Pool is, is a technique that says what you do when you need to do, do some exposition and a storytelling is you wrap it in something entertaining. In other words, and, and it comes from this screenplay that he read, which is, you know, was about a Pope that gets murdered and it's a murder mystery. And so they needed this scene where all those helpers would come in and give him all this exposition information about what was going on with the investigation and stuff. So they had the Pope swimming in a pool, swimming laps in a pool. Uh -huh. And it was, it's very funny, right? To see the Pope actually swimming, doing laps yeah. in a pool as he gets this information. That's a Pope in a pool technique. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I talked to the team about in doing this content was how do you start to wrap this information into the story? And the example I used was, you know, you've got a customer story where, you know, you're telling, you know, you're, you're have a product page and you're telling this customer story about how this customer did it. And it's like the information, you know, the, the most important features for Bob, the customer were bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, bullet point, which is awful. It takes, you know, it's, that's, mm -hmm. that's what the product marketing people expect. And instead can you wrap all that information into a story where it's like Bob was trying to do this, but what he had noticed was that and notice was, you know, give him an activity mm -hmm. where he needs all that information, but wrap it in a way that is actually relatively compelling. And it's, and it's really just a, a neat way to include all that information that you need to get out there in your content, but do so in an entertaining and engaging way. And you'll, you'll yeah. create much better content. Yeah, yeah. I, no, I, I like that. So, but did that satisfy everybody? Because the, the trouble we have in B2B, isn't it, is that people are expecting, I think you made reference to it there, about they expect the bullet points. So was it something that was, you know, did they make, how did they make that transition, that change? The key was actually wrapping it in in a way. And then, of course, uh, what they would do is they would hyperlink. Right. Um, the, you know, the the various pieces in there. So, it became, you know, what we often assume is that when we get things, uh, you know, like a bulleted list of features and benefits and product specifications and technical specifications, that it needs to be presented in the same way that it's presented to us. And of course, that's right. ridiculous at its face. Mm -hmm. But if we can get much more creative around the way that we include those things into mm -hmm. content, there are ways to make it accessible and to also at varying degree highlight the fact that we're we're highlighting them right yeah. hyperlinking is certainly one way yeah. um you could literally bold them you could you know you can pull them out you know my favorite way of doing that is to just integrate it into the content now you get into debates and whatnot around is that more seo you know, and, mm -hmm. and, and my argument to that is, listen, you know, it's easier to rank on a bulleted list than it is to engage it and put it into context of a great piece of content. But I'm not writing for the bots. I, I, yeah. You know, I would much rather it not be found that when it is found, people bounce away from it. Yeah, and so, absolutely. you know, I would so I, I want to err toward writing for the humans who's go, who are going to engage with this and mm -hmm. actually get some meaning out of it. Right. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, but also I think there's value in having both pe- both types of content, isn't it, in the customer journey? There is a, the, the pieces of content I think you're referring to are those that are going to get people interested in the features and functions and all that kind of stuff. But they'll, they'll probably need that bulleted point maybe for their IT team later. Oh, fair enough. Of course there is, you know, and we talked about that. Yeah. uh, I believe it was last week or the week before when we talked about content that is created versus content that is constructed, right? Yeah. Which is, you know, this idea that yes, of course, at some level you need a one sheet that just lists it all out. Right. And, and, you know, at at some level you need an ingredients list. Yeah. And but nobody's going to read that if you haven't made right. it Nobody reads yeah. an ingredients list yeah. for entertainment or engagement <laughs> or learning, right? Yeah, absolutely. They want to know why they're going to make the pie or whatever the ingredients are for. I don't an know, ingredients that. list is very much like instructions, like it's the pre-instructions yeah. of assembly, right? You only yeah. need it to actually yeah. do a check to see that you actually have all the ingredients. Absolutely. A bit like the ingredients for this cocktail, which I did not have. but Indeed. It's a, it's a great way to think about it is that this recipe. Yeah, yes. if you didn't tell them the story of how it tastes nice and we're going to be sipping it in, in Curacao, then maybe I wouldn't have bought the ingredients, which I didn't. So there I you go. <laughs> well, that's an yeah. excellent thought, Robert, as usual every week. And um, interesting enough, on this same show, I was talking to Jeff just earlier about storytelling. So it's almost like we have a plan. So that's excellent. Almost. And, and when people want to read well-constructed stories... Uh, that you have put together and being I've got to be very careful my words because recently you've been quite clever with this where are they going to read those Mr. Rose well I don't know how well constructed the stories are but (laughs) but, but where we where we actually put them all out is uh, on contentadvisory.net I love it and when people spin the dial on the interwebs where are they going to find you sir ah well you know these days you'll find me more and more on LinkedIn and Twitter uh, than anywhere else Nice, nice. I've seen a bit of you on YouTube as well recently too. I, you know, I have been doing a little more video. I was challenged this year to do a lot more video, so I am actually doing a a weekly, uh, a weekly video news uh, news item for Content Marketing Institute, and 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 mostly that's LinkedIn Live that we're publishing that through. Yeah, nice. Oh, I was watching it on YouTube. So um, yeah, it also it also does go to YouTube, but uh, we publish it first through LinkedIn Live, and then it goes out to YouTube to be archived. Nice. And that's the Content Marketing Institute. So I'd recommend people look to that. I'll also include a link to it in the show notes too. So, mm-hmm. and, uh, so having seen you on LinkedIn and LinkedIn Live and YouTube and all those other places, will I see you in the bar next week, sir? Well, of course. Absolutely. I, I look forward to it. Thanks, mate. I'll see you then. Thank you, Robert. Our little sprinkle of Hollywood there with his reference to the Pope and the pool screenwriting. So that's a wrap on episode 105 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thank you for dropping a dime into your podcast, the jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks again to Jeff, Kerry and Robert for sharing their insight. Please say hello, follow their work and check out all their links in the show notes, which you can find on your favorite podcast app or rockstarcmo.fm, where you can also find all our previous episodes. So, does the world need another effing marketing podcast? Please let us know. Help other people find us by dropping a rating or review in your favorite podcasting app. Or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, as you heard, Jeff and I will continue with the effing marketing fundamentals. My guest is my friend, Kathy McKnight from the Content Advisory, and Robert will be back 
in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week and hope you'll again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO F. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.